the Stockdale paradox is never give up hope that you will get to where you get to, but don't be discouraged if you don't get to it when you think you should, especially when navigating for a new job or a new career. It's not a straight line. I'm Jordan Harding and welcome to the podcast. We're about to learn how people like you and I overcome career setbacks, pivot, reinvent themselves, and find work that aligns with their top strengths. Let's dig in together as we learn how these incredible people become the best version of themselves. Welcome to episode seven of It's Not a Straight Line. Today, I'm speaking with Brad Furtney. He's the president of Fieldpoint and Dynascape two businesses that provide software solutions to their clients in the field services and landscaping industries. Brad's a leader who knows how to galvanize and motivate his teams. He's one of the top sales professionals that I know, and he spent time with Twitter, Labatt, and CBC, among others. On the weekend, he's a self-described do-it-yourself warrior and a lover of playing in the outdoors. Brad is my former boss and a lifelong mentor. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Well, listen, episode number seven, there's got to be some luck in that. So let's roll. So I guess to get it started, can you tell me a little bit about, you can either tell me about what you were like as a university student, and I'm pretty sure you went to Western, but I'd love to know at that point in your life, where did you think you wanted to end up? Did you have any idea? from a career standpoint, what Brad wanted wanted to do? That's a great question. That's a good place to start. So I, I did the, uh, the business program at Western, the Ivy program, back when it was only 150 students, which to me is sort of a, a, neat, a neat start to my career because I have 150 classmates that, you know, we're relatively still close and we can reach out and support each other. And that's a whole other story to talk about. But I remember they asked us in our, one of our courses, like, you know, where do you see your career going and where do you see yourself working? And I always said I wanted to be in a small business because I didn't like big business. I didn't want to be, you know, a cog in the wheel. And the irony of my career is that I learned most of my leadership and development and strategy work in big business. So I started in two small companies that just didn't work out initially. And then I ended up at Labatt and spent 10 years there and, and so forth. So I always thought I wanted to be in small business. And ironically, through my career, 30 years later, I'm actually running two small companies um, and loving it. So I got to where I think I wanted to get to. It just, uh, to your point, it's not a straight line. What got you into the beer business? How did you get into that? And, and do you think that that was a big attraction for you? Or did it just through a relationship kind of fall on your lap? Well, uh, as, a, as a student, I worked for Labatt, a company of Labatt selling wine coolers for two summers. So I had some experience in the business and I didn't really think I wanted to go into it full time. Um, and so then I, I started out with a, a small hardware company that went bankrupt in the first 12 months of its existence. And then the second company was a small advertising agency. And, and then someone said, hey, Labatt is hiring a, a rep in London. You should apply. And you know, long story short, I applied and, and got the job. And that was May the 6th, 1991. And I, I would say that would be the start of my career, really. The first year and a half, two years of out of school, you know, it was good experience. But I didn't learn as much as I learned in the first 10 years at Labatt, for sure. Yeah, it, it, it didn't fall into my lap, but it was presented. And that's what I, I think about life. 
is that you create the opportunities for yourself by being open to change, open to ideas, open to things that, uh, you know, you may not notice they're there, but someone said, hey, there's a job and threw my name in a hat and there you go. Started my career. That's interesting. And I want to go back to that point. Um, the guy I had on episode six, I actually asked him if he knew you and, and he doesn't, but you guys should know each other. Um, he runs a social movement now called the Genwell Project, which is all about social connection and the need for it. His name's Pete Bumbachi. And Pete was the head of Movember in Canada when it had its biggest run from 2010 to 2015. But he started his career at Molson Coors in in sales and marketing. And he actually told me that was his first time he really learned the value of relationships, connection, and how important they are. And he had a sales rep and he understood the value of relationships. And what he would do is he would go into the bar instead of directly speaking to the manager as a sales rep, he would speak with all the servers and all the bartenders because he knew those were the people that were going to sell his product and push his product. But is there anything you learned from your 10 years in beer sales or in beer in marketing and in sales that you still look back on today and use? And is there anything about, you know, obviously that's the world of hospitality. Is there anything you look for or you advise your own kids on in terms of what some of the best jobs are to kind of build a foundation as, as a person? There's two questions in it. So let's start with the first yeah. one. And then I'll get you to repeat the second one because I'll probably forget it. You know, in, in terms of my learning at Labatt was two things. One is, I'll start off with a bit of a negative first. And, and I didn't know it was a negative initially, but Labatt is an incredible company. I still have lots of great colleagues I worked with. I learned a ton. They didn't overtly say don't network outside of the company, but we just didn't. So that's really, it was really on me. I can't blame the company for that. But I never networked outside the company. I built a ton of relationships within the industry or within my client base, within the organization, uh, very strong connections, but I never networked outside. So my networking in my career didn't start until, you know, the early 2000s when I realized, oh my goodness, you know, I can talk to the com competition and, and people that work there and understand what's good and bad about their businesses and, and their jobs and their companies. So... What helps me at Labatt being in sales, and it doesn't matter what company you are on, if you can start in sales, what you understand is how people communicate and how you can be a better listener. Because as you know, Jordan, as a, a sales pro yourself, uh, selling is 80% listening. So asking really good questions and listening. And so what, what's really powerful in, in my career is that I've taken that to how I lead today. I ask lots of good questions and I listen to what my staff are saying. What are their challenges? What are their opportunities? You know, what are their suggestions to make our business better? So that whole sales background, I think there's a bit of a, a negative, especially in your business school, because people go, I want the marketing job. I want the finance job. No one really puts their hand up and says, I want to be a beer rep. They just don't at business school, right? But I was that guy, right? And uh, so, you know, I spent three years selling and then went into management at Labatt. And a number of great roles and that whole understanding of how to sell and how to read body language and how to ask really good questions is super powerful in whatever you do. Because let's let's face it, we are all in sales. Doesn't matter what job you're in. You're in finance, you have to sell a budget, you have to sell a concept, you have to sell some idea that you know you're passionate about. And the, the way you do that is asking good questions and, and listening and 
and getting buy-in from your your audience. So for sure, selling is a huge, and I would recommend it to everybody to experience at least a year in selling something because it will help your career down the road 100%. And, and, and so I layer on top of selling the whole idea of networking. And, and I'm a big proponent of this. You know this now. Like I network all the time. And quite frankly, my network comes to me now. I don't really have, I don't reach out as much as I probably should, but like I'm constantly working with people, networking with people and, and helping people because it's just what I love to do. And I learn from that and I get experience and I get ideas and I share ideas. And I also feel really good about in the networking is a two way street. I could talk about networking for an hour, but the two way street is you get something from networking, but you should also give. And you're really good at giving. You are a giver, Jordan. Like you are one of the nicest, kindest givers I know. And so for sure, that networking piece, you have to understand it's, it's both give and take. So so that would be sort of my experience around selling and, and Labatt that helped me uh, down the road. And there was a second question, which you'll have to remind me. I think it was just around early jobs that you think are great for building a foundation. Um, and I think you mentioned a lot of it around sales. And uh, I definitely do want to go back. I think what you'd probably agree with is anything where it's sales, connecting with people. Like a lot of people say a job, you know, maybe bartending or serving or in retail creates a great foundation. The human race, um, by, by the way, my favorite t-shirt right now just says human on it. You know, what we're going through with COVID and Black Lives Matters and whole thing. I just love this t-shirt that someone gave me. And uh, that sort of relates to the answer to your question is that this human race we need to be connected. It is part of our psyche. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it doesn't matter. You need human um, connection. And whatever job you take, you are, you're definitely not 100% isolated. I don't know any job that doesn't interact with somebody somehow, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's through email, whether it's a little less face-to-face, -face, that human connectivity is super, super important to, to our psyche. And I'm not a psychologist. But, you know, I think selling helps you understand people and their needs. And, and I always found selling easy once you determine what they wanted and what their pain points were. And if you could solve that with your product and solution, it was easy. So, yeah. No, that's great. And so 10 years in the Labatt, great company, iconic company, beer business. And then you went over to Simpatico, which became Bell Simpatico and CBC. Or CBC first. Were you at CBC before Bell? I was seven years. Yeah. yeah. So CBC, you're in the world, and I believe you sold on behalf of two Olympics. Well, four Olympics in total. I was involved with yeah. So from Tokyo right through to Beijing. So what caused that? transition what what caused you wanting to go from the beer business over over to, to media and now you have this incredible opportunity to you know work on behalf of the olympic broadcast yeah no it uh to be honest there's there's two things i'd spent 10 years at labat i love the company my last four years was involved in a startup within labat that focused around the premium category and, and so I was the fourth hire in this company called Olin Specialty Beer Company. And we, we were at that point, we were bought by um, Interbrew from Belgium. And we were bringing in uh, Stella Artois and Hugard and some of the, the Belgian brands. 
And so I got this sense of going back to, I thought I wanted to work for a small company in school. Um, I got a chance to work for a small company, but the beauty was this small startup was within Labatt. So it wasn't like we were a startup with no funding. We were completely supported, you know, legal finance, HR was all supported out of of the parent company, but we built the sales and marketing organization from scratch. It was phenomenal. So, so I spent four years there, ended my career on a real high, but I said to myself, do I want to spend the rest of my life in beer? And as much as I enjoyed beer, I had started a family and, you know, just the, the demands of being out all the time in the marketplace because it's very, you know, it's bars and restaurants. I just felt like it was time for a change. And I was recruited. I didn't look for CBC. Matter of fact, when they called me, I said, I don't want to talk to CBC. Um, and the recruiter goes, just listen to me, will you? It was, a, it was a buddy of mine. And long story short, I did. And, and I loved my time at, at CBC. I spent seven years there and we did some incredible work there. And it was a uh, CBC at the time was, you know, it's a publicly funded organization, part of it. And part of it's, you know, ad sale generated funding. So it's very interesting mix of public funding and, and ad revenue funding. And they wanted to make the commercial side of the business, CBC, well run. And so they brought in all these people that had good uh, real world experience. So Coca-Cola, people from Coke, people from Labatt, people from all these big companies came in. And we really did some great work there. And it was a ton of fun for seven years. But I was actually recruited. And that's how it all happened. And again, you know, things happen to you at certain points in your life. And if you're open to that opportunity, you let it in. And if you're not not open to the opportunity, it, it just goes by. And you may not even notice the opportunity was, was there. So what would you say to people in terms of making sure they keep their eyes and ears open for opportunities? Because I do think there are a lot of people I come across and even some friends I have that may be so focused on their role, even if even if they're not that jazzed about it, and they just miss opportunities. I have people and I I'd I'd lo- I mean, Brad, we'll go through a few of your um your roles and why you switched, but I really want to dig into some of the lessons you have because you have so many great lessons to share. And I want painful lessons. <laughs> and I wanna I wanna I'll go back to networking. Like I, I love networking, but there's there's so many people and I have friends I have that are like, I don't I don't need to network. What are the things you teach others about keeping your eyes and ears open? Well I think networking for networking sake, just to network is misguided. What is your vision? What's your three to five year vision of of where you want your career to be? Uh, What are you interested in? Um, Do you like the company you're in, in, but you want to elevate your career? Do you want to get out of that industry into another industry? It needs to start with what you're passionate about and where you see your career going. And once you sort of have that, it doesn't have to be fully formed uh, and and fully baked because listen, I don't know what's going to happen next month, let alone a year from now or five years from now, but I generally know the direction I wanted to go. I've always known I wanted to lead a company, right? It took me a little bit longer to get there than I thought it would, but I always knew I wanted to do that. And so in my networking, in my conversations with people, I would ask them, I would meet with CEOs, I'd meet with presidents, I would meet with people that were a level or two above me when I was a, a VP of sales or, or head of sales and have those conversations. So I have a vision of where you want to get to. And so that gives you some focus on, on what you're networking with. If you don't have a goal, 
then the wind's going to blow you wherever the wind and storms blow you. And I'm not saying that you need to have it fully baked because some people say, well, I know exactly where I want to be at, uh, on the exact date. And let me tell you, you can't control the time frame of when it happens. You cannot. You can't say I'm going to have a new job by September 1st because that is out of your control. What you control is I'm going to network two times a week. I'm going to meet with Jordan and he's going to introduce me to a couple of people and a whole bunch of other things. You can control that, but you cannot control sometimes when it happens. But if you believe it and, and you think about it, it will happen. Uh, I'm a firm believer in, in you can create your, your vision and live it. I think you mentioned, uh, I remember you mentioning, was the guy's name John Stockman who, who talked about goals and not having a date around the goals? I, I forget who you exactly oh, mentioned um, to me. Oh my goodness. It's called the Stockdale Paradox. I'm glad you brought that up. And this was referenced in a chapter in the book, Good to Great, by Jim Collins. So James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam. He was the highest ranking military official captured. And he was in solitary confinement for, I think, seven years in and out of solitary. But he was a prisoner of war for seven years. And he watched a number of his prisoner of war, fellow prisoner of war inmates, not survive the imprisonment camps. And they would say, I'm going to be home by Christmas. I'll be home by my birthday. I'll be home by a date. And that date would come and go, and they would die of a broken heart. And they would give up. And what he said is, what kept him going was, I'm going to get home to my family. I think he had a wife and kids back in, in the U.S. at the time. I'm going to get home, but I don't know when because that's out of my control. And he also didn't discount the fact that it was brutally hard in the moment. So he accepted the fact that it was brutally difficult, right? Most of us are not going to be prisoners of war in our life. We're just not. Uh, even as bad as we can say life gets at times, it's not that bad. Um, so he believed he would get home and he accepted the reality that was he, he was faced with in the moment. And those two reality checks, I will get home and never give up faith and not discounting the fact that it, it sucked where he was at in the moment kept him going. It's a great book to read if you haven't read Good to Great. It's one of the classics. And uh, the Stockdale Paradox is Never give up hope that you will get to where you get to, but don't be discouraged if you don't get to it when you think you should, especially when navigating for a new new job or a new career. So in your career, you went from the beer industry to media, you spent some time, you spent a long time at CBC and then Simpatico. You ended up sponsorship marketing, which is where we met at the 2010 group. Digital media, you spent great few few years at at Twitter, and, and now you're at uh, Evercommerce and leading Fieldpoint and Dynascape. And during that time, there was a there was a time there where you were looking for a job for a while, and you said a comment there. You said, "Never lose hope." What was that like for you and when people do have an in-between? Because I think if you're putting yourself out there, you're going for what you want and you have that end goal, which for you is, is leading a company, which I think is exactly where you should be. What are the, some of the strategies you use to keep your positive optimism and continue to wake up every day and just go for it? And, and I know that every day wouldn't be perfect. 
Can you speak uh, vulnerability a little bit about uh, about your times in between, or your even if it wasn't in between, when you knew without mentioning a company, I want to get out of here, but you didn't know where yet? Yeah, I think when I knew it was time for me to leave a company, I knew it was time. And then I, I was open to opportunities. That, and in the early part of my career, they just happened. Like, you know, being recruited to CBC, it just happened. It, I didn't look. It just, I was ready to move. The opportunity came up. It was a great opportunity. And so I jumped at it. Um, so I didn't have any downtime between between those two companies. But I, I think, you know, to your point, there was uh, a little over a year, 15, 16 months that I was unemployed between uh, Juice Mobile and Evercommerce. And, and that was a not an easy time. But I wouldn't say I was unemployed. I didn't have a traditional form of income is probably a better way to put it. I had some income. Uh, it wasn't anywhere near what it needed to be to support the family. So it couldn't go on forever. Uh, but that was one heck of a journey. And so that's where, you know, I learned. Let me go back to CBC. When I was at CBC, I knew I wanted to leave after seven years. I I worked with HR and my boss at the time. And we restructured the company and I restructured my job out of the company. So I knew I was going to leave, which was great working with leaders that uh, have those really good conversations with you. And they're like, hey, listen, you don't seem super engaged. You've told us that you want other things in your career. You know, we want to realign this, the organization overall. Let's have a conversation. And, and we had this really, it was one of the best times in my career where you had a really hard conversation with your leader in HR. And we developed a sort of, hey, we're going to both work towards a better solution for both the company and for Brad. So that was great. And I would give huge credit to uh, the head of HR at the time and my boss for being that open and having those uncomfortable conversations. So during that time, I was looking for a job while I was still working at CBC. And that's where I started the, to really understand the power of, the, of networking for a job. And so when you have a job, you need to network at least two times a week to get a job because you have a full-time job. So you have commitments for that, but you need to meet people and strategize of who should I meet next. And the whole idea of networking, which we could have a whole other podcast on is really simple. When you meet someone, ask for two more contacts. It's so, so easy. And from those two contacts, you know, and sometimes you get one, sometimes you get two or three, sometimes you get none. Um, but you never really have to keep networking because you keep building your funnel. Here's a sales term for you of your future contacts, right? So I did that and lo and behold, I left CBC. I was unemployed for like a month and in my contacts, I had met someone in August and I said I was looking, I was still employed at the time and I left end of September. End of October, I get a phone call from a lovely woman and she said, hey, there's an opportunity for you at Simpatico. The job wasn't posted, it was super senior and it was super late in the process. They were down to one or two candidates and they were probably going to offer one of them a job. I called Gary Anderson at, at Simpatico on a Tuesday. Uh, he got back to me on a Wednesday and he said, listen, we're late in the process. When can you come see me? When do you want to see me? He goes, tomorrow. I met him at Thursday morning at nine o'clock. That went well. I had a call that afternoon with, with uh, another uh, colleague in the company I had another interview on the Friday. So I had three interviews in call it 24 hours. Uh, we spoke a bit the following week. 
on the following Monday, we talked and he said, I'll, I'll let you know by the end of the day what I want, to, what I'm going to do. He offered me the job from the start of the process to the job offer was 10 days. And 12 days before that, I didn't even know the job existed. Right. Wow. And it's because of the power of my network. Knew I was looking. They cared about me because, you know, I think I'm a good guy and I try and help them out, too. And the opportunity presented itself. And so within two weeks, I had a job. And so I was only unemployed for like six weeks between CBC and, and Simpatico. Fast forward uh, into 2017, 2018, I left Juice Mobile. There was a massive reorg. 800 people were let go from Yellow Pages. I was part of that. And I said to my wife and I were talking, well, I'll have a job by May. So here goes the, the Stockdale paradox, you know, learning. Well, I'll have a job by May because I've always got a job relatively quickly in my career when I've transitioned or wanted a new job. It just happened. It's, it's going to happen. Well, guess what? May showed up and May ended 2018. There was no job for Brad. And so that was a really sort of slap in the face is like, okay, I want a more senior job than I've ever had before. There's less of them, right? I wanted to change industries from media into technology because I really like the tech side of the business or, or industry. So that was new. So Jordan, when you're out of a job and you're looking, you need to have eight to 10 networking meetings a week. That's sort of the, that's on the high end, but that's, that's the, the right range. I had 464 meetings in call it 15 months. Uh, that sounds like a crazy number. Um, and it is, but I would say 150 of those were me actually helping other people network to find a job because I knew the process. And that was that made me feel good. Now, so that helped Brad sort of work through the challenges by giving back to others that were looking for a job too. And the irony of it, I keep doing that. I keep helping people. So two of my people that I've, I've worked with in the last six months or four months have landed during COVID. So people say, oh, you can't get a job during COVID. I say, bullshit, you can. It happens, right? You got to keep working. So back to your question, how did I navigate that time? Back to the Stockdale paradox. Believe it's going to happen. Don't put a date to it. You can work towards dates that you can control. Like I'm going to have so many meetings this week, or I'm going to reach out to Jordan Harding by you know July 1st, whatever the date is, and we'll, we'll jump on a podcast or whatever it is. Those you, you can control, but those things that you can't control, you have to respect that you just can't control it. I recognize that it was tough. Uh, financially, it was uh, not easy on the family because, you know, we were used to a certain level of income. We have a big house. We have a mortgage. Um, and so there was some pressure there. And I started, I'm a big believer in learning how to improve your psyche. And I started gratitude journaling. And for those that uh, have never done that, I got a book. Hang on. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I really wanted to to understand the, the things you did to improve yourself outside of the networking because you need to keep yourself mentally in great, yeah. great shape. So kind of the, the top three things that I did to keep myself mentally strong was stay physically active. So, you know, I'm not an elite athlete, but I tried to keep moving, uh, worked at the gym, had a, a fitness membership, uh, walked the dog, get outside. That, that's for me being physical is part of, of my mental health. I talked about gratitude journaling and there's a book that someone actually just gave me. It's a, a gift from a work colleague. It's called the five minute journal. If you've never done gratitude journaling, buy the five minute journal. It walks you through the process. 
It's dead simple. And here's the benefit of gratitude journaling. When you're in a state of gratitude, you cannot have a negative thought. So all the crap you're dealing with, I'm out of a job, finances are tough, you know, my kids are mad at me or whatever. When you are in that moment of gratitude, you can't have a negative thought. Again, I'm not a psychologist, but my understanding, that's the fact. And so gratitude journaling just makes you feel really good about the few things in your life that may be going well or that, hey, listen, I have a great relationship with my spouse. Uh, my kids are successful or whatever it is. And I saw Jordan today and he lifted me up and I'm really grateful that I have this friendship with Jordan. That moment where you write down, I'm grateful to have Jordan in my life is that moment where you kind of get this euphoria and there's science behind this whole thing, which I don't fully understand, but it's super powerful. So gratitude journaling, uh, physical fitness, um, sleep is another one. You know, you got to maintain your, your sleep habits for sure. And I did a bit of meditating. I wouldn't say I'm great at meditating. Um, matter of fact, I'm not great at meditating because I tend not to slow down a whole lot. But those are the three or four things that, that I worked on to help me through the journey. And I would also say, find people in your community, your family that can cheer you on. So I would say my biggest cheerleader was my son. So Luke would have been, he's 18 now, so he would have been 16, 17 at the time. And so when you're 16 years old and your dad loses his job and your buddies ask you, what's your dad do? It's embarrassing to say, well, my dad's not working. So when I lost my job, you know, listen, I was part of a downsizing. It happens to a lot of people. You know, Luke was like, uh, yeah, my dad got laid off. And it, it was hard on him. And it, it probably took him three or four months to kind of, you know, him to work through that feeling, you know, embarrassed, really, that his dad wasn't employed. But uh, eventually he saw the effort I was putting into the process. I was doing, you know, seven to ten meetings a week. And he would ask me, what did you do today? And who did you meet? And, oh, I met this guy and I did this. And it's okay, dad, keep going. And he's my cheerleader. He cheered me on. It was awesome, right? I had this, I'd come home from, and, you know, I, some days, some weeks, I didn't get any leads on jobs. I had good meetings, but there were no real opportunities. And he would cheer me on. And it was awesome, right? And so he was my go-to guy to, uh, to support me. And this is a kid who was 16, 17 years old. Pretty powerful, right? Um, and so I guess I was, I was super lucky to have a kid like that. And, uh, and so when I landed the job, you know, we had a big celebration with the family because they knew the journey that, uh, that we all had really gone through. Cause it, it's not just me. It's, it's the family too. Right. Yeah. And I think the other thing you did that really impressed me was you were doing things with an organization called Everwise, The Big Push. Uh, I remember you were doing things for Mars Discovery District. You're right. You weren't making, say, the income you were used to, but you were really doing a full-time job. So that's a really good point. Um, if you look at my LinkedIn profile, it doesn't look like I was unemployed for you know a year and a bit, right? Because I was uh, volunteering through a company called Everwise. I think they changed their name to Torch, but... You know, I volunteered to be a mentor and I mentored people from Nokia, uh, from Facebook, from a couple other tech companies. It was very cool. And you'd have these six month projects where you'd get to, to mentor. I had started that before I was in transition. And so I did that for about uh, two and a half years, mentoring different people. Matter of fact, 
one of the people I just mentored, and she's now at Facebook, called me up a couple of weeks ago, and we spoke. And you know, I continue to support her because she has an opportunity and a new job inside of Facebook. So I, I get a lot of energy of helping others. It's just part of my my makeup. And then through the Mars Group and a, and a company called The Big Push, The Big Push is about helping female entrepreneurs go from seed to uh, Series A funding. And so I was aligned to a company called Alexio Corporation in medical uh, uh, security software. And it was a great experience. And so I, I worked with them and, and it really was, you know, I worked, call it three or four or five hours a week for that big push and Alexio. And I just loved it, right? And it kept me going and kept networking, gave me, gave me time to network for a new job. So there you go. What are the things, Brad, that you learned uh, in terms of like, how are you better positioned to just roll with it now going forward? since you went through that experience? Well, you either don't make it through it. And I've seen people later in the careers sort of not land the next job they want and, and their career sort of fizzles away and, and they sort of give up, which is sad. It doesn't have to happen. Or you learn, listen, we all know, you learn from your challenges way more than you learn from your successes, right? That is 100% fact in life. Not that you don't learn from when times are really good, uh, but when times are tough and you have to double down, you learn a lot. So um, I think it's, you know, you go back to accept the fact of the reality that it is. You're unemployed. There's pressures, fr financials, whether you're renting, whether you own, whether you have a family, whether you don't. There is an emotional level of discomfort because you're not employed and all your friends are. And so there's a sort of shot to your ego. And so you have to sort of adjust to that. But also now in today's world, being transitioned out, laid off, it happens. You know, 30 years ago, people had careers for 35 years in the same company. Most people don't have jobs in the same company their entire career. Matter of fact, if you do, you're one of the very, very few rare people that, that stays in one company for 35 years. Um, so it's normal to move around, but have a strategy, have a network to support you. Have friends like Jordan, like you, who, you know, I'm, I know you were one of my networks. We, we had, uh, I know we met in the Mars building. Yeah. Right? You helped me out. You listened to me. And even it gave me a chance to tell my story. That is therapeutic in, in just the fact that I get to tell my story. And, and, and there you go. Right. So, and however I can pay you back, you know, I'm indebted to your, you know, half an hour you gave me two years ago. Um, I'd be more than happy to, to give back and, and help out. So. I would say to summarize it, understand that you are in a difficult time and respect that. Have a plan of where you want to get to. Don't get fixated on it. It has to happen by a certain date. And take action to move forward, right? So network, meet people, ask for advice. People want to help people. Generally speaking, when you reach out to your network, people want to help. And if they don't, you're not going to get that meeting and don't worry about it. There's lots of times I reached out and I didn't get a meeting. That's okay. They were busy. They had other things in their life, and I I don't take offense to that. Right? It's all good. I think we could, uh, yeah, we could definitely do a full podcast on on networking, and I could dig into because I think a lot of people's fears with networking. You said ask for another two contacts. A lot of people hate asking, right? And they're scared. But I do want to know. You know, we have spoken about some of the times and the strategies you've been using when uh, when it's been the more down times, but 
I mean, Brad, you've had an amazing career. You've you've ten years of a bat. You've got to work on the Olympic broadcast. You worked as head of head of agency sales for for Twitter, and then uh, chief revenue officer of Juice Mobile. Some sponsorship marketing in there, but. What are you doing now? You're the president of, of two companies, I believe, Fieldpoint and Dynascape, the, the parent companies out of Denver. If anyone's listening to this, what's, what's the quick and dirty on, on what the companies do yeah. and what gets you fired up about the current role you're in? Yeah, so uh, you know, my dream was to be a leader of an organization. And the irony of it is I am the leader of two companies at the moment, which you know, if someone said, your career will, will uh, at some point, you'll be the president of two companies at the same time. I would go, yeah, whatever. You know, what are you smoking? Because uh, I don't believe you. Um, but here I am, right? Uh, so Evercommerce, um, again, is the irony, I networked like crazy. And this was just a posting on one of the job boards that I followed up on. And long story short, they hired me uh, in early 2019. I run uh, Dynascape, which is a, a software company. They're both software companies. Dynascape is in the uh, landscape a vertical, so it has a design software and a maintenance uh, software for landscape companies. And FieldPoint is in the field service uh, software business, so our software helps uh, mid-size enterprise companies deploy, uh, route plan, and uh, invoice their work orders and projects all digitally. And we we really become the backbone of the brain of the operations of a field service company. And so HVAC would be a, a vertical we spend a lot of time in. And the parent company is, as you mentioned, is Evercommerce. And Evercommerce has bought 40 software companies in the last four years. And they're all software companies and they're all in the service sector. So all our software helps companies work and perform service uh, operations better. So we're in fitness centers, we're in hair salons, we're in healthcare, uh, we're in field service. Those are kind of the the four key verticals that we, we play in. And what's great is, you know, Evercommerce has centralized legal and finance and, and some digital marketing resources out of Denver. Yet I get to run the full P&L of both these companies out of Oakville with 50 employees. We're growing at, like even during COVID, we're having record levels of, of revenue. We're highly profitable and it gives me a chance to do all the things I want to do, which is, you know, grow a business from a, a sales and marketing perspective, understand product from a technical standpoint, lead and uh, develop people. One thing I would say about Evercommerce and why I'm, I'm definitely the most happy I've ever been in my career is because yes, we are software companies, so we're technically focused, but our number one priority is enabling people. And the reason we do that is because technology unto its own is not a competitive advantage anymore because someone else can build a software like we have and, and do a good job of it pretty, pretty quickly. So by enabling our culture, our people, you know, we'll serve our customers better. We'll build a better product. We'll communicate internally and solve problems faster. And so we really focus on enabling our organizations through a people first strategy. And even though we're a tech company, we leverage the power of of, uh, people and humans first. Right. So, yeah, I love it. I, I couldn't be happier, actually. That's incredible, and I'm so happy for you. Uh, the one thing I do want to mention before we uh, we wrap this up is, I think I, I saw it written somewhere, but it rings true with me. You you are authentic to the bone, and you mentioned about people's ego and and their attachment to their job. The interesting thing about you, Brad, is you've always had great positions, but I think people see you 
so much outside of those positions, whether it's rink up at the cottage or you're being a, being a great father or speaking and giving back. You've been able to do these things so far outside your job. I am interested, what's one advice you'd give to your kids about their career? And I think they saw it with your work ethic as you were unemployed. And then if people want to follow any of your messaging, I think the best platform to follow Brad is LinkedIn. But but where can people see more about you if they're interested in what you have to say or in in potentially working for FieldPoint or Dynascape down the road? That's a, the first question. What advice do I have for kids? It would be simple. Start networking like now, especially when you're a teenager. It's hard to network because you're you have no experience and what have you. But go talk to somebody in a, in a say you wanted to be an accountant. Go talk to an accountant. What's it like? Help me understand it. What should I do? Uh, where what school should I go to? Um, what company should I look at when I graduate? Right. I never did that for the first twelve years of my career. I didn't network at all because. I was afraid to talk to anyone in the industry because, you know, I love Labatt so much. They didn't tell us we couldn't, but we were just sort of brainwashed. Like, don't talk to the competition. No one should leave Labatt. And it was just sort of a, it, it wasn't, they never said it, but we felt that. Um, so network like crazy. Um, start early. The earlier, the better. They should teach networking 100% in school. Um, if they don't, they're, they're missing the, the boat. Um, it's not easy initially, but you get more comfortable as you do more of them, right? So that would be my advice to kids or, or someone in school. And your second question was how to follow me. Um, well, LinkedIn would be the best place in terms of I post a lot on that. And you can follow me at Twitter at, at FertneyB. Um, I, I tend to put some stuff there as well. So uh, happy to uh, talk to any of your listeners. And, and uh, anyone wants to reach out to me, I'm happy to talk to them as well. Matter of fact, I'm meeting someone today who is the son of my first roommate. And he's networking for his job. And I meet him at uh, at one o'clock today. So I am that's living amazing. what I say is important. That's amazing. You do live what you say, and I appreciate you uh, you doing this. And thanks for coming on. And uh, I encourage people to follow Brad and look at what he says on leadership, sales, etc. So thanks so much, Brad. And uh, let's catch up soon. You bet. Great to talk okay. to you. Jordan. Thanks, bud.